All right, Internet, good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thank you for letting us be a part of the uh, of the uh, the the work of your day, whether it's working out or, or you drift off to sleep to the soothing sound of, of this nasally voice. Uh, Mike and Andy here, we're so thrilled uh, that you allow us to be a part of you. Uh, not a part of you, but a part of your life. Uh, and if we were going to be a part of you, we'd be the brain. Let's just be honest about that. Yeah, or I'd be the mouth, and Andy has these beautiful brown eyes. He the eyes. <laughs> so, um, so we're in the middle of summer, and um, and it's been an interesting. We're recording this in uh, in 2016, summer of 2016. It's been an interesting couple of weeks. We've had um, uh, two shootings of uh, at least two videos released of what look like. Um, unjustified uh, white cops killing or shooting uh, black men. Um, and uh, we recognize there's an, always another part of the story, but when you just look at the raw video, you know, it's just horrific. Mm-hmm. And then you have the shooting of police in Dallas. And then yesterday, we're recording this on a Monday, uh, yesterday you had the shooting of police in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And so, um, you know, I I was, I don't know if you remember them, but I remember the riots, the Rodney King verdict riots uh, in the early 90s. And um, I've not seen this kind of, you know, this sort of tension since then mm. uh, that exists in our world. And so um, we we want to spend a little bit of time talking about justice and, mm. uh, and race and uh, privilege and Jesus, and see how we kind of uh, end up. Hmm. Go ahead. What I was just say, say from from your memory at that time of those riots, did, was there also other national things that popped up that were somewhat of a response to that? Yep, but okay. but um, it was the first time you were uh, now. Now there were riots in the '60s, uh, yeah. the Watts, very famous Watts riots. But um, so I was in college, and uh, and you're watching these. Uh, you know, this was before internet, so you're watching this right. on live television from news helicopters. Right. And um, you know, it was the first time I'd been exposed. So I was living in Ohio, going to college in Ohio, and this is all I knew about LA. So, um, <laughs> so when I moved out here several years later, I mean, I was just terrified, you know, uh, because of the stereotype. I didn't realize like LA wasn't all of Southern California, but um, yeah, it was. It was. It. it we were, we did not have the ability to have, for better and worse, the big race conversations nationally because you didn't have social media. Mm-hmm. You were not able to. Uh, every every weirdo wasn't able to have a platform. Yeah, and so you know, and and we weren't nearly as sensitive to racial undertones and and mm-hmm. what minorities mm-hmm. experience and the marginalized experience. And so so, but it was very much a. Um, it felt like a national thing. This feels like a national thing in yeah. the, the the days that we're in. This isn't just the communities. This is like fabric of society kind of stuff. So, mm. so it felt like we needed to talk a little bit, and we do this with fear and trembling. I'm a I'm a white um, Christian heterosexual male. So in in the eyes of the marginalized, you know, I'm O for four, um, and and then you add. Um, you know, middle class, um, college educated, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, and, and you just get a perfect picture of the last person who should be speaking about this issue, you know. Mm. So, so recognizing there are um, all kind of landmines 
um, the scriptures still speak of of of, a, of an image of justice that I think is worth exploring. Mm-hmm. And so, so one of the things we talked about in our little uh, community that meets on Sunday mornings um, is that you don't have to believe the Bible is the word of God to receive its wisdom. And there is much, much wisdom. And there's a picture that's painted in the uh, scriptures that I think is worth revisiting. So, so we're just going to kind of start rambling and, uh, and see where it takes us. And, uh, and Andy, Andy, you are half Filipino, right? half Caucasian. Right. Uh, your wife, Mercedes, is Peruvian and black. And black. Right. And so your son, uh-huh. um, Ezekiel Rhodes, yes. is all sorts of things. Right. Yeah. So yeah, he's a quarter quarter Peruvian, quarter black, quarter Filipino. And then that last quarter of white is made up of French, German. And yeah. And he's English. 100% just handsome. Yeah. I mean, like so beautiful. Yeah. And then his, his daughter, Sunny. Do we know Sunny? Danish. Danish. I don't know how much or the blend. I think it's French and Danish, but yeah, right. she's mostly Danish. Right. So I, I am, um, I'm Swiss, Irish, Austrian. Okay. So take that. Mm. So I, I'm a mix. Yep. <laughs> it's kind of like sound of music. Really. Sounds like sounds like a nice. No, <laughs> no, but uh, I appreciate that. Um, so, so obviously, and we're two men, and I mean, they're, they're, the 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 nuances are and the landmines are incredibly numerous. But yeah. Jesus is beautiful here too, and um, we feel like okay, we need to we need to at least begin to explore a bit. Uh, of of how Jesus is beautiful in this conversation. Um, so first, we need to start with the the concept of justice in the Bible, because it's very different from the concept of justice in America. The concept of justice in America um, is it is to a large degree based on individual rights. Um, justice in the Bible has a completely different orientation. It's it justice in the Bible is related to a big Bible word called shalom which is a Hebrew word for peace. And peace in the Bible doesn't mean the absence of war. Um, It it means something bigger and fuller and deeper and richer than that. uh, Shalom is harmony. It's interconnected harmony. When Mm. when you recognize uh, everything is is to fit together in a way that brings mutual blessing to every aspect. Mm. So so the so in the Bible, uh, human beings as image bearers are intimately connected to creation. So when when the image bearers rebel, even the creation is now subject to frustration. Mm, and the scriptures talk about when the image bearers are renewed, even creation itself is renewed. So that's why, you know, environmental care, litter, huh. uh, recycling, I mean, all of those things are deeply Christian issues, huh. even though they've been not portrayed as that. But uh, so there's this deep tie and interconnectedness. And and we in American culture, one of the real downsides of the inheritance of American culture is this individualism that has completely lost the Eastern sensibilities of what it means to belong to a community and be mm-hmm. de- de- defined by your participation in a group. And so we call that corporate solidarity that that in the scriptures, very often uh, entire groups of people are treated as persons. They're not treated as collections of individuals. They're treated as a whole. Gr- there's there's a whole. It's not just the sum of individual parts. There's another whole that's created when those sum when that sum exists. So like in marriage, 
um, you have two people getting married, but what you don't, in, in the scriptures, it's not just one plus one equals two. It's actually one plus one equals three because um, you have the one person and the other person, and then you have the third reality that's created by the covenant between the two. Yeah. The one flesh in biblical language. So the concept of justice in the Bible has to do with interconnectedness and interrelatedness. And um, it has to do with the web of, of, of shalom and harmony that's supposed to exist. God made the world so that everything ex- existed and depended on everything else. God is the only self-sufficient thing in the world. Everything else depends on everything else. Hmm. So when one part's affected, the whole is affected as well. So and this kind of thinking, I mean, even is reflected in the idea of church, that that one of the metaphors that the, a missionary named Paul uses is the church is the body of Christ and that the parts all need each other. So so far from being uh, in the pursuit of individual life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, the biblical concept of justice is finding your place in the interconnected web of harmony and blessedness for the sake of mutual blessing and flourishing uh, in every direction. Mm-hmm. So God word, human word, creation word. Make sense? Yeah. Gotcha. So so sin, one one uh one theologian has this beautiful picture. Sin is the violation of shalom. Sin is the is the graffiti uh, that tarnishes shalom. Sin is the vandalism, he he calls it of shalom. Sin is is sin is that place where the fabric so if you picture um, not a bunch of individual threads, but you picture like a finely woven rug from the underneath side, you see how it all fits together. Sin is where that that bit begins to fray. It's where those connections begin to break down. And instead of flourishing now, you have inequitable distribution of resources or opportunities or whatever. So for for the scriptures, justice is a central human thing. It's not uh, an add-on. It's not optional for Jesus. Justice is the outworking of the command to love your neighbor. So when Jesus is asked, what are the greatest commandments? How do you sum up 613 commandments? He's like, simple, love God with everything, love your neighbor as yourself. And the two commands are just like each other. So there is a deep vein of love of neighbor all throughout the Old and New Testaments that has to do with the restoration of shalom. One of the big knocks on the Christian community and one of the big misses in our theology has been the idea that somehow our only job is to save souls and rescue people to heaven. Mm -hmm. And the rest of creation is going to burn, so who cares? And, And that is so not the practice of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, the image of the Old Testament and what God intends for flourishing, and the practice of the early church is recorded in the New Testament. The good works and good news are absolutely inseparable. So clean water... These are not like liberal issues. These are biblical, deeply biblical issues because it's all interconnected. Make sense? Yeah. So, so that's that's what justice is. Injustice is then where where those where the fabric is fraying, where shalom is not manifest, where um, things aren't fair, mm. um, and uh, and so the invitation of the people of God is is as agents of renewal or as paul calls the ministers of reconciliation they're to take their own wholeness which isn't perfect but to take the the fabric that they carry with them and to rush into those places where the fabric of the community is fraying to bring their wholeness 
um, and to plunge themselves into the places where fabric is is unraveling. So not as rescuers, not as uh, the great white hope. Um, there, there's been a very clear um, renouncing, I think, in some parts of the Christian community of the kind of charity that we used to do where we just throw money at things, where we just kind of come as the rescuer to things like books like Toxic Charity and When Helping Hurts paint a picture of the damage that we can do when we just run in as Savior. So we're not talking about coming in in wholeness and coming into where fabric is fraying as Savior or as um, the rescuer. We're actually talking about plunging into the real lives of real people over the long haul um, and using whatever strands of wholeness we carry with us for the benefit of those whose wholeness yet is not fully manifest. So that's that's what we're talking about. We're not we're, not, we're talking about walking with people because they have strands of wholeness that we need too, right? In the scriptures, right. the rich need the poor as much as the poor need the rich, mm-hmm. um, and so so that's an entirely separate conversation. But I, I keep wanting to come back to this idea of justice as wholeness, as justice as harmony. It's not justice as liberal agenda. It's not justice as a social gospel. It's not justice as just being good people. No, it's justice as part of the deep creation mandate we were given as human persons. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. why. I don't even care what kind of atheist you are. Um, you care about justice issues. You absolutely care about that. You, it's a human thing. Yeah. And it's deeply rooted in the image bearing that Genesis 1 describes that pertains to human persons. All right. So that's, that's big point number one is the idea of justice is far bigger than just allowing people to self-actualize. Uh, because our world orients itself around self-fulfillment and self-actualization. And anything that hinders that is automatically uh, suspect or to be rejected. The biblical concept of justice is, nope, we belong together and, and, and damage in one part affects the other parts so that the whole community cannot flourish if one part of the community is not flourishing. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a completely different way of thinking. Mm-hmm. And, and this is embedded in a concept um, we talked about yesterday morning um, the difference between two Old Testament words, the word sin and the word iniquity. Now, these aren't real popular words, but, but when um, the scriptures talk about wrongdoing, they don't present it primarily as, uh, as uh, a mistake or a screw-up. There, there's this nuanced vocabulary that particularly the Old Testament uses to describe wrong. And, uh, and, and so one of the words uh, that's used is the word sin. Um, both in Hebrew and Greek, the word has the connotation of, of a miss. So I'm aiming at something and I miss. Um, and it could be a miss in my motives, my actions, my words. It could have been something I was supposed to do and didn't. It could have been something that I wasn't supposed to do and did. Um, it can be intentional, unintentional. Um, so it's a miss. And, and the miss, the, the target, of course, uh, are, is the character and the beauty of God. We're to manifest that. So whenever we miss, that's a sin. Now, that word has um, an individual aspect to it. In other words, um, a sin is what I do, what I commit, what I'm responsible for. Yeah, that was going to be my question. Is like Because we see it in two ways. You see, a, you see it as a position. I'm in sin, and then there's the action of sin. Right. It seems like there's, yeah, like what? So, so in the scriptures, there, there is a sense that sin is a state of being. 
that we're all corrupted. There's mm-hmm. darkness in all human hearts. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the corruption and decay infects every aspect of human life. Mm-hmm. And in uh, the created order, so in that sense, yes. And there's also the the um, the presupposed uh, moral responsibility of people to choose what is good and right and honoring. Mm-hmm. And again, uh, this was, goes back to a bit of the conversation we're having about: Does God call suffering? Right? Are we yeah. truly free in that regard or not? Now, the sin, the the word sin has. Um, has a counterpart. the The individual aspect of sin is is in the word you know sin, but the word iniquity is um, the word means to distort, uh, and um, it, it refers it can refer to just individual sin, but it has this nuance that is so important for conversations like these. The nuance of the word iniquity is that it's the momentum of sin in the life of a person or in the life of a community it's the momentum of consequence of sin so so the 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 mother who is pregnant and addicted to meth that's a, that's her sin but the baby who will be born now uh addicted that's the iniquity of yeah. the sin that's the that's the repercussion that's the evil that carries forward Mm-hmm. Because because in the scriptures, if we're all connected, then then there isn't just the individual mistake, tragedy, sin, transgression. There's also the communal rippling of that, and uh, and so the scriptures sometimes will speak of the iniquity of the fathers passed down through generations. Right. Well, that's the burden, the consequences of the mistakes. Right. In, that, in the church, what we call this like generational sin. That's yes. kind of another word for it. Yeah. Yes. The iniqu- so so iniquity. Sometimes God will speak of 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 people being given over to to sin and iniquity, and that's the idea that the individual choices have now created so much momentum that 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 it would it's almost impossible to choose otherwise. So that's what we call addiction. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So um and 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 obviously there are parts of addiction that I'm not equating with this, but but the idea is there's a momentum um in and rippling through a community or an individual when um sin is done. So so because I, I hear people either say this or imply this when we talk about justice issues and and in particular we're gonna talk about the whole Black Lives Matter movement because the particular issue now this goes in in every direction, whether it's Native Americans, whether it's women, whether it's sexual minorities, whether I mean but we we want to keep in view the the conversation being had now between all lives matter, blue lives matter, black lives matter, mm-hmm. and 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 what's happening in that dialogue, and what's being missed, and what's being, uh, what what's being said that's hurtful. Um, so so we want to just focus on this sort of uh, sort of issue. Now, the idea that. Um, I've heard this said, hey, I don't own slaves. No, this is white people who say this. I don't own slaves. I'm not racist. Why Why do I have to care about reparations? Why do I have to care about um, <clears throat> carrying these sensitivities or apologizing for, for what uh, my forefathers did? And, and the idea is that's a classic case of confusing sin, personal responsibility with iniquity, the, the momentum of sin throughout generations. And so we're not, so, so I'm, I have no question that there, is, there are parts of my heart that are blind to um, uh, superiority, privilege, racism, 
you know, and so I can't say I'm without sin in that regard. But I, I can for sure say um, I've not owned slaves. I'm very much against slavery. Um, uh, that the, the horror of what my forefathers did to the four the forefathers of like my brother's wife um who is african-american um though i'm not individually guilty of those we suffer under the iniquity of their sin in other words the the individual sins that were committed when we would go over to africa and rip families apart and rape women and package men and women and children into boats that that were full of disease and um you know you some scholars think there was a 50 percent mortality rate and then we'd get them here and we'd sell them as meat and property and and then decades of segregation and jim crow laws and and you know the the ku klux klan and all of i mean all of this crazy crazy stuff we we that biblically that just doesn't go away even when the people who did the sins die yeah. Right? right. Even when those people are gone, the the burden of the iniquity of the, the the ripples affect through the community. Because remember, what a person does affects a family. What a family does affects a clan. What a clan does affects a tribe. What a tribe does affects a nation. What a nation does affects the world. Okay, this is how it works. So it, so it's absolutely. Uh, I was going to say idiotic. That's not true. Mm. It's absolutely untrue to say. Well, I'm not responsible for the individual sin, so I shouldn't care. No, 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 no. This is where we see the the fabric of shalom being violated right here, this area. And what we're seeing, yes, there are individual sins being committed right now, whether it's racial, violence, I mean, whatever. But, but what we're seeing primarily is the outworking and the exposing of the iniquity that has been carried through american culture now for generations correct yeah it's so so what we're dealing with even if i'm not responsible for the individual sins the burden of the sin still sits over the community yeah and as a person of god who's called now to be an ambassador of reconciliation to be a minister of reconciliation to be an agent of redemption and renewal where do we run yeah we run to the place where there's fraying so the analogy that I've seen on social media is, yes, all bones matter in your body, but the one that's broken is the one that you focus on. So of course, all lives matter. We're all image bearers. But the, the, the idea of black lives matter, I think is a very profound one and should be supported by the Christian community because it's the, it's the insistence that here are, here's a class of people that have been traditionally overlooked and have been treated as a marginalized, second-rate community, and have suffered the iniquity of the sins of our forefathers. So for other cultures standing with them and acknowledging that that is true without qualification, I think is one of the ways that that Jesus' people come in and say, yes, um, the shalom here has been frayed. The iniquity of previous generational sin is now being manifest in ways that are very, very public and demand response. And so, so Jesus' people are then invited to reenact the, uh, the, the life and the ministry of Jesus. And if you, if you know anything about Jesus, Jesus was uh, no respecter 
of a racial or social status or qualifications or divisions. So if you were a religious person, he'd eat with you. If you were non-religious, he'd eat with you. If you were a tax collector, he would share a meal with you. If you were demon-possessed, he would heal you. If you were a leper, if you were blind, if you were poor, if you were a woman, if you were a sinful woman, if you were a notoriously sinful woman, uh, all of these were examples of people who were welcomed into the Jesus movement, healed, delivered, set free, blessed by Jesus. I mean, he was utterly, and this was this was one of the very scandalous things about him. Uh, he was called, and this was an this was a uh, insult. He was called a friend of sinners, and that meant he was associating with and and um, uh, displaying and manifesting the shalom of the kingdom of God to people who were considered not worthy of it or outside the normally established ways in which you were to receive forgiveness or blessing or healing or whatever. So you have this Galilean rabbi who is rejected by his hometown in Luke chapter 4 for racial reasons. So, so Jesus preaches a sermon and cuts off. He's using an Old Testament passage, and he cuts off the part in the Old Testament passage that talks about vengeance against non-Jews. He cuts that part off and instead ends it at the idea that this is God's blessing for, for everybody. His hometown synagogue was uh, um, uh, had a lot of Jewish pride. And they recognize what he's beginning to do. And so Jesus tells two quick stories of how God worked outside of Jewish lines in the Old Testament. They get so mad at him, they try to throw him off a cliff, right? Jesus didn't come to set the oppressed free. He came as one who was oppressed, right? Mm-hmm. So so Jesus didn't just come to save sinners. He could have done that as someone who was rich, as someone who was powerful, as someone who was authoritative. No, no, Jesus came and, and, and we've so trivialized the feeding trough and the incarnation and we've so trivialized the triumphal entry and here's him riding a donkey. Uh, we've so trivialized even the crucifixion and the unjust trial that Jesus endured. Jesus was oppressed. Jesus was a victim of the oppression of the Romans. He was a victim of the oppression of the religious system. He was a victim of um, the unjust uh, legal system that had had somehow um, conspired between the Roman authorities and the Jewish leadership to put Jesus to death in, in a way that did not honor the very law they said that Jesus was violating. I mean, you, you just have, how did Jesus come to the world? He came as an, an oppressed minority, even within his own country. Yeah. So, so what you have in Jesus is the compelling picture of a God who not only uh, seeks to remove oppression, but stands within the oppression itself in order to bring healing to it. Mm -hmm. And you have the idea that when Jesus is telling people to turn the other cheek and to go the extra mile, those aren't doormat statements. That's actually Jesus in an honor and shame culture, teaching people to to nonviolently resist uh, in in some really really fascinating ways as image bearers of God to the unjust oppression of the foreign power. Now, that's an entirely different talk. But here's the point. <laughs> here's the point. So so when Jesus comes as the restorer of shalom and the embodiment of what shalom looks like when shalom perfectly walked the earth, what you have isn't just the rescue of people into some heaven someday. See, Jesus never talks like that. He instead preaches the new availability and power of his kingdom beyond all of the normal structures, the temple, the priesthood, the sacrificial system, directly through him now 
anybody, poor or rich, male, female, slave, free, anybody now can have access directly to the kingdom of God through Jesus. And so Jesus gathers around himself such a diverse community. On the one hand, you've got somebody who was called a zealot as one of his inner circle. Zealots were people. Uh, and, and, And we don't know how how far zealotry had been codified in Jesus's day, but it became codified. um, And uh, the provocation for a great Jewish war, the great Jewish war of AD 66 to AD, I think it was 72. And um, zealots were people who uh, so dramatically opposed collaboration with Rome that they would assassinate tax collectors. Tax collectors were Jews who extorted other Jews for Rome's enrichment. So um, when, when, when the gospel writers tell us that Jesus had, as his inner circle, the part of this 12, a zealot and a tax collector, um, we just kind of look at that and say, great, that's a part of the Bible I can skip. You would have seen that as this a very interesting declaration of mm-hmm. the redemptive and reconciliative power of Jesus, that Jesus wasn't just intending on um, reconciling people to God. He was intending on reconciling people to each other. And as evidence of that, you have a tax collector and you have um, a, a zealot. And so, you know, imagine you, you, you have Donald Trump and President Obama. Imagine you have Adolf Hitler and the, the, the head of the Jewish nation. Imagine you have someone from ISIS uh, and someone from Jews from Jesus, you know, for Jesus. I mean, you, you just take your biggest polarity and you say, and you put those people in a room and somehow Jesus was so magnetic and beautiful that those differences weren't as important when Jesus was in the room. Mm-hmm. Paul even speaks of the, uh, the formation of something he calls the new humanity in the book of Ephesians, if you've got a Bible, it's it's magnificent. He first talks about how we are now made right with God. And then, I'm taking a drink of water. He talks about the, the earthly reconciliation now of people groups. And the big one for Paul was Jew and Gentile. Gentile was just non-Jewish. That there was so much ethnic hatred and animosity between Jews and non-Jews. And he says, um, he says, God's purpose in Christ was to take the two groups and form them into a new group so that they're not Jewish Christians uh, who are followers of Jesus and non-Jewish Christians who are followers of Jesus. That's two separate groups still. It's that, no, he was forming them into one new thing called a new humanity. And later, Paul will say in, in the book of Galatians, he'll say something like, you know, in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female. And the idea is that that what Jesus did in his movement was, was relativize the ethnic and racial and social um, uh, divisions and markers so that they were still true. I mean, of course, you were, you were Jew or non-Jew or you were male or female or you were slave or free. But that those were no longer the defining thing about you. And one of the very important, one of the very important nuances, Andy, we've got to pick up is the idea that two things are simultaneously true Yeah. in the new humanity. Mm-hmm. Number one, that differences are real and they are appreciated and valued and treasured. That God is not white. God does not speak English. Um, heaven will, Jesus will end up looking a bit like a Palestinian. <laughs> <laughs> surprise. Yeah, surprise. shocking, shocking. He won't have blue eyes. 
and blonde hair. Um, and, and so Jesus, when, when white people say, I don't see color, I mean, that's, that is such an awful thing to say. Yeah. Because um, the, your color is important. Um, uh, for our black brothers and sisters, that color is important. That's part of a significant piece of identity. There, there, there isn't, you just can't wipe that away mm-hmm. and, uh, and say, well, it's no longer important and it shouldn't be. No, no, that's not what that's not the, what the new humanity is. The new humanity is the is the continual um, understanding of difference, the continual celebration of difference. But de- de- difference has been um, relativized so that it's no longer the most important thing. In other words, what unites us is stronger than what divides us. And in terms of race, that means yes, I'm absolutely white. There, I, I will always be white. Um, to degree there are ethnicities in heaven which there seems to be every tongue tribe nation and people is how uh john in uh revelation talks about the the worship service that goes on well then that means at least it seems to imply that there are still ethnic and racial divisions and it's beautiful it's beautiful it's part of how god intended the world to be the shalom of God manifests itself in this beautiful difference. Mm-hmm. So on the one hand, we're holding that difference to be true. But on the other hand, we're also saying it's no longer the most important thing about us. Because you cannot celebrate the difference of the other if you insist on maintaining your difference as a, as the most fundamental marker for yourself. Right. Yep. And so so that's so for me, the uh, the invitation to be part of a new humanity is to say that whiteness is true of me. And, and whiteness has been corrupted by the powers and the principalities of the world. Mm-hmm. And, and that there are good parts of whiteness and bad parts of whiteness. And that, um, that, the, that making room in the new humanity for people who are not white means that I lay down the idea that I get life and meaning and worth and significance from whiteness. It's that I say, no, 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 as a child of God, as a, a follower of Jesus, my allegiance to Jesus is the most important thing about me. And that means then I'm a respecter of the beautiful diversity that God's created. That means then, see, any part, if you get any part of your identity in the fallen world system, so if I get my identity from being middle class, I get my identity from being American, I get my identity from being white, I get my identity from any any part of those things that, that becomes a source of life for me and worth and significance, anytime any part of my identity becomes wrapped up as a source of life, meaning, worth, and significance, anytime that's threatened, I'm going to defend it. I'm going to attack those who threaten it. I'm, I'm going to, I cannot acknowledge Black Lives Matter without saying, well, all lives matter, right? You can tell there, that, that there is a great attachment to whiteness in the white community because we're just not able to say Black Lives Matter without adding a qualification. Mm-hmm. Part, of the, part of the way that you know you have, um, you are putting to death the life and the worth we get from whiteness as speaking just from a white guy, um, pretty fly for a white guy, offspring. <laughs> oh, no. Um, <laughs> uh, one of the ways you know that you've, you, you're beginning to put that to death is when you're able to celebrate the beautiful differences without them threatening your own, without threatening your own identity. And so part of when, it, when, when part of saying Black Lives Matter and saying it without qualification, for me, is, is the idea that uh, that's the place where fa- fabric is fraying 
that's the place where the people of God are not to come in as saviors, but to come in as co-limpers, co-strugglers, co-workers, um, and to begin to help piece together the fabric of shalom through peacemaking, through the recognition that, of course, of course, of course, the black community um, has very, very legitimate concerns, and the police community has very legitimate mm-hmm. concerns, and the, mm-hmm. the the Latino community has very legitimate concerns, and the Asian American community has very legitimate concerns, mm-hmm. and that the public good requires that there's something that holds us together bigger than all of those individual agendas. Make sense? Yeah. So, so part of part of what the conservative narrative will be is well, you take God out of the classroom, you take God out of the public square, and what's going to hold us together? And so, right now, we just have this weak sort of tolerance that says, you know, we, we're to respect all difference and not judge all difference. And and certainly, there's something good about that impulse. Mm-hmm. But the scriptures call Jesus' people to do something far more radical, right? It's not to tolerate; it's to love. Right. And and when Jesus talks about enemies. He's really clear how you treat enemies. You love them, you serve them, you bless them, you pray for them, you re- you you give to them without um, asking for something back. You walk the extra mile. You turn the other cheek. I mean, it is it is. You do not return insult for insult. I mean, that's what it means to be a Jesus follower in our world. Mm-hmm. And uh, the only way that begins to happen, at least is is from my privileged seat. Um, it's it's to recognize whether or not we're guilty of the individual sin, the iniquity still is brought forward into our culture yeah. of the sins of our forefathers. Those have to be named. Those have to be brought into the light without justification, without minimization, without any sort of qualification. They have to be just named. Uh, there, ha- there has to be um, reconciliation, forgiveness, even though... I may not be individually guilty. That's irrelevant to iniquity must be dealt with. It just doesn't go away. It just doesn't go away. Um, and, and then as a, as a Jesus follower, to be part of the new humanity means I'm setting aside the identity markers that give me life in order to make room for other identity markers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the recognition that, um, it, it, that it still is easy for me to do white church rather than black church or Latino church or Asian church and uh, to try to live an intentional life so that um, the, the, the spiritual communities that are formed out of the preaching of new humanity actually begin to reflect it. Mm-hmm. So what are you thinking over there? Brown eyes too much. Yeah. It's the, the things we've been talking about in the church community are largely around equalization and, um, and reconciliation and just like the orientation towards that. Cause like you just said, to set up a, a system of tolerance suggests that we honor everybody's differences. Well, if someone else's difference is like, well, I don't, I don't like you and I hold a sense of authority and in my own personal peace, I, I am oppressing you. How can I honor that? on the other side, if I'm the victim of that same oppression, like the idea of like cross tolerance to me can't be supported without an active idea of forgiveness and reconciliation. Mm. You know, it's like, that's kind of, and that's why people reject political correctness so much is that that there's a good impulse in political correctness to, to watch our language, to, to, um, to honor the ways people want to be identified but I think there's also an impulse that says, but that's 
that that doesn't get at the issue. It doesn't. It it totally doesn't. And that's that's to me like the greatest fear of this entire thing because what we're talking about is something of a spiritual birth out of scripture. We're talking about this idea of shalom that's built upon a structure that God presents in how it works. But if an entire government is trying to remove God from the conversation, well then what do you have? You know, you have all this other stuff trying to make up what peace is supposed to look like on then a system that then boils down to the people groups and then they're supposed to adopt sure. that. And then that brings about yeah. this idea of American liberty and quote unquote, well, that's how we be peaceful to each other because we're deciding what we do. But the problem is none of that has to do with the idea of forgiveness or restoration. That's right. It has to do with we well, we, we need to give you guys more you rights have the right. and we're going to take away some over here. Right. And it's all like a practical political equalization yeah. and it's not a spiritual equalization. That's right. And um, I love uh, Bonnie Lewis spoke at uh, our gathering last week. And one thing she said that I thought was so uh, profound was like when you're on top, equalization feels like oppression, you mm. know, but if you're in oppression, Uh, equalization feels like liberty Mm. so it's like these two complete emotional opposites that both like parties have to engage in order to find each other in the middle and so if you if you're living from a place where you like for me it's it's i mean i guess i'm um how does the first generation work in in like culture so my dad was born in the philippines and i was born here so he's first generation american no i don't know i don't know so anyhow so my dad was born in the philippines and then i was born here but I grew up in a middle-class white privilege culture. So everything that I personally experience has nothing to do with oppression. Like I have no like personal history or family history or anything in my culture here in America that gives me any kind of inheritance of oppression. So in a way I live very much on top. So for my, any of my liberties to be compromised for the sake of another feels difficult. But like the same time, I'm like, well, I don't, I don't feel like I'm also giving anything up because I've never had a problem getting a job. Right. I've never been pulled over because of the color of my skin, even though I'm tan, you know, it's just, it's, it kind of blows my mind because it's like, man, it, it isn't, it isn't just about color. It's about a certain color. And that's, what's so disturbing to me. Cause it's like, well, if I'm, I'm not a person of that color, but yeah, I don't, I don't experience the same things that like my wife and her family and the people around her family do have to experience. Right. And, but what I've just come to kind of realize and stuff you've talked about in my own conversations with my wife is that. There's a different American inheritance that that changes the entire conversation because it's localized to context. Like with the with with people of color in the United States, there is a local oppression in which they exist here, in which it's like they built this nation on their backs. Mm-hmm. So it's like to find peace in this nation from their perspective looks terribly different. That's right. Than how we find peace, like in how we grow up without that oppression. Like if. I'm not very deeply enriched in my Filipino history, so I don't know in what ways like my culture has been oppressed like in their own nation, but coming to America is the freedom of leaving that particular oppression. So I have no connection to that oppression whatsoever. So I don't even feel it here. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I want so badly, and and, and it's like, I say that like with with fear and trembling because I'm not looking to be oppressed. But like my my empathy and my compassion for all of this just feels like oh, I just I want to understand this on a deeper level. But but you but, do have a we do have a window. Yeah, I mean okay. we've got two kids with special needs, and yeah. there, there's okay. You you've texted me some of the things mm. people say. Okay, about yeah, you're right. on YouTube. Yes. And yeah, it's true. You know when when Seth, you know I mean this isn't this isn't the same thing, but the stares, the judgments, 
the um the you know the people that move away when you're coming near mm. now again i mean it's not i'm not drawing uh, equivocations here but 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 there that is a bit of a window yeah into what that's like because even though our kids don't know it yet i mean we oh my goodness hold on hold on wow that was like all like the phone rang and I put it off. It's off, Andy. And then the computer rang, <laughs> oh, okay. and then I mean, oh my goodness. So yeah. Well, okay, that's a fantastic point because I that that's actually a great point, a great reminder. Yes, on on Sunny's YouTube, there's been tons of awful things said about Sunny. There's been awful things said about my wife there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and it's not to say that folks of of privilege need to go find trouble, like need to put themselves in a position to then bring that upon themselves, but the thing that we can do that we're pointing to here is if, if we follow Jesus and we're in Christ, then it means like an action and a fulfillment of God's love for us means loving others. And it's, and loving others means the it's, it's the reenacting of what Jesus did. He set aside his privileges as God yeah, and took upon himself. I mean, this is the big like him in the middle of the book of Philippians. He, and he, and Paul says, your attitude should be, that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be hung on to, mm. but instead took the very nature of a servant, mm. being a found yeah. in appearance as a human being, right, was obedient even to death on a cross. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's the that's the great descent yeah. uh, that that uh, Jesus people are to to come. It's it's the relinquishing of entitlement. I mean, that's and and and, and again, I mean. And oppression, that's such a loaded word, man. I don't even know what it, I kind of don't even know what it means anymore because mm. um, I could be oppressed when someone says something mean to me, or is it the judgment that comes when people look at Seth? Is it the systemic evil? See, those all feel different to me in some ways, mm-hmm. right? The systemic evil, Seth isn't the victim of systemic evil other than the movement to eradicate um, uh, Down yeah. syndrome through abortion, sure, and so that feels like a systemic evil, but um, so so it's just so freaking difficult to navigate. So all I, all I keep doing is I keep for me I keep coming back to Jesus and saying, okay, Jesus saw color, and it was beautiful to him. Secondly, uh, in the seeing of color, Jesus invited people to lay down every other identity they had. To follow him, mm-hmm. that that the identity of him uh, was was to supplant, not replace, not um, you know we're not pretending now that uh, race doesn't exist, but but it's to relativize it to say um, my allegiance to Jesus is what drives everything else, not my allegiance to America, not my allegiance to a political party, not my allegiance around a government policy, not my allegiance around my family. I mean, Jesus was so clear. Every every identity you want to claim um, has to be laid aside to claim him, mm-hmm. and um, and then as part of claiming him, you reclaim all those former pieces of identity, but you now do it differently. Yeah, you now do it graciously instead of finding life and having to defend those things. Now you come into them, uh, holding them loosely and being able to bless, mm-hmm. and seeing now that the invitation is the setting aside of privilege for the sake of the other. Mm-hmm. And that can be the other that's next door, that can be the other that's in the Sudan, that can be the other that's uh, that's in the car next to you down the freeway, 
that you want to cut off in return, right? I mean, this is the entire posture of life uh, that is to characterize the Jesus follower. It's the setting aside of what I think I'm entitled to. And we do that for the sake of the beautiful Jesus and making him beautiful, but it's also for the sake of, of repairing shalom. So when somebody cuts me off in traffic, um, there's been a disruption, a tiny little speck of shalom has been violated, correct? Because everyone, everyone should be able to drive safely to wherever they're going. Right. Uh, somebody cuts me off. And the invitation now is to lay down my individual right and my individual anger and my individual privilege, my individual whatever, to get back at them. Yeah. Which then just tears that little hole of 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 the violation of shalom now just be that hole becomes just a little bigger mm-hmm. right because then the person can respond or maybe now we've threatened another car that's in the middle of this or whatever it is now that's just a tiny i mean so so the invitation is never uh in the bible to do justice kind of things it's it's to be a peacemaker it's to it's to not do peacemaking it's to be a peacemaker it's to be justice in some ways and right. i know that sounds kind of cliche yeah well sorry I, I want to take a second to to briefly revisit the church in South Carolina in Charleston, because to me, like that's like amidst all this stuff that's happening out there, collectively, what they did seems so much of like the wholeness of what they were trying to do to protect the fabric. Because when um, when that white kid went in there and shot up that church, their response was actually like, we want nothing to do with everything happening right now in the media with like all of the the social rampage of like the justice for people of color right. instead it was like they went in with the room with him and individually numerous people forgave him it's and it blows my mind like i think about that and it's like that doesn't get us media attention no. but when we when we sit and think of all the different reflections of how some of this stuff is happening that seems like the most beautiful and most whole picture of what we have because it, it's like their identity was so birthed in mm-hmm. reconciliation, forgiveness, and, and and seeding themselves as a whole person in Christ to re to try to refix that fray. That's right. And showing this kid instead of adding to instead it. of adding to it, you which, know, which it, is the easiest thing. Yeah. And it's like, I think about that now, I'm just like, oh, man. And it's like, it, it had such its 15 minutes of fame because right. it was so shocking. It really was at the moment. It's like, here's what they're doing. This kid goes in and shoots up a bunch of like, you know, kind, loving folks. And their response to that is like, no, no, no. Get everyone out of here so we can have space to forgive this guy. Yeah. Like, come on. Come on. I know it's ridiculous. <sighs> and that's when Jesus, I mean, that's. That's when Jesus is made beautiful in ways that the world notices, even, yeah. if, even for 15 minutes. Yeah. So, so um, let's wrap it. Yep. How long is it? 50. Okay, perfect. Um, there's much more to say, and I'm sure we've misspoken. Uh, there, again, disclaimer as always, man, I, I can't even go back and listen to these because <laughs> I know, I know. And, and that's what's so great about the podcast form. Um, is that I think there's a grace that's built in there to recognize, okay, this is a snapshot of a conversation. We're all in process. But the sensitivities I have now um, are so different from the sensitivities I had 10 years ago. And uh, I'm so very thankful for that. But the invitation, so, so you know, I, I, I am a chaplain for, um, uh, and I have some dear friends who are, who are police officers, and I see how brutal their job is and i'm just so sympathetic 
to the fact that now they're just being deliberately provoked, deliberately targeted. Um, uh, you know, they, if I have a bad day, people go home and go, man, that wasn't a very good talk. Mm. If they have a bad day, they can be sent to jail. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's an entirely different thing. And so I have so much sympathy. Um, and I saw my dad who was a, who was a homicide detective as well. And, uh, and the burden of that. And then I, I do see, um, the marginalized perspectives that feel like, you know, there, there's a difference in the way, um, uh, a white person experiences enforcement versus a black person mm-hmm. experiences enforcement. Yeah. And, and you just go, okay, but and you have to hold all this together. And the only way I know how to do it is uh, this, this picture of new humanity, that there is inequity in the world. And even if I'm not responsible for the individual sin, I have the burden of the iniquity. And my job is to come and repair fabric. And not as a white hope, not as a not as a rescuer or a savior, but instead to plunge myself into the community, and to do what we can do. Oh, there it is. My installation was successful. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Multitasker. <laughs> <clears throat> I didn't. I didn't realize it would ping, bro. I just. I was trying to. <laughs> I was trying to look and see if I had any other things I wanted to say. Good. And that got in the way. I see. Um. So anyway, my goodness, brothers and sisters, th- these are such difficult days to walk um you you move on from orlando and then it's this and now it's police and um we're all just kind of collectively waiting for what's next um i've I've just been thinking okay so what happens if i got rid of social media you know i mean it just this isn't it isn't helping (laughs) like i've been tempted that'd be like the idea of like i I feel like nowadays i'm like saying well what if i just don't leave my house Uh, you know know. it's like that would be the the old days before it's like well i don't even think i can leave anymore i'm just gonna hunker down buy a bunch of food disappear get off the grid and just disassociate all right that sounds so tempting (laughs) that's so tempting i mean and it's like so so i thought obama gave a great speech at the memorial so i said man i just thought obama gave a great speech i thought it was good peacemaking i think there were a couple lines that were too political but I feel I felt like he wasn't just doing a memorial; he was speaking to the nation. Yeah. And um, you know, I've not said I've not said one word good or bad about Barack Obama publicly in eight years, and this was the first time I'd ever said anything like. And and you can just see in social media just the the instant, you know, h- hatred of him or uh, pray uncritical praise of him they are the an uncritical uncritical hatred of him and it just I'm just weary of that yeah so it's not so it's not a stay in the house impulse as it is that that I grow weary of me and so many others mm. who keep adding to the violation of Shalom and the way that we respond to sin and iniquity so it's not just enough it's not just enough that the evil happens but then it's we all take to our platforms and further alienate each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. I think it's it's far easier to develop a, a place of difference and hatred on social media than it is to love. Totally. You know, like you can't, I don't think you could ever produce a full picture of whole love like just by engaging on social media. I, I, I would say that that's completely untrue. You have to get out. You have to have relationships. You have to be with people. What? What is that? 
So, well, I mean, I've got my new Pokemon app, so I'm going to go, I'm going to go. Now that's changing the nation. Oh my goodness. That's so funny. I want to talk about that someday. <laughs> and I love, I love all the churches as I was looking at Twitter yesterday morning to follow the story in Baton Rouge, all these churches that were like, we got poke stops and we got Pokemon here. We got Jesus here. Oh yeah. My, my favorite is the takeover of the Westboro Baptist church. Oh, oh, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned that. That's yeah. insane. Yeah. It's, these are interesting days, my friend. That so, it is weirder than ever. So, so as Jesus people, um, uh, and, and, and we're so glad so many of you who listen aren't, um, aren't yet or aren't at all. Um, and, uh, we're excited that, that you find enough of this interesting that you tune in and give us lots of great feedback. Um, we're going to have a, a conversation this week with a, a guy named Godless, who we referenced many podcasts ago, uh, in a debate he did. And so, um, he's an atheist, shockingly. A guy named Godless would be an atheist, but we're gonna we're gonna have an interview with him this week, um, and super excited about that. And uh, so make sure you tune in, like us, uh, tweet us, because our sense of worth and uh, and importance in the world depends on your sharing these things. Um, truly, truly, it does. We're we're constantly we're constantly just sitting at our computers waiting to see if we've we've got likes, and so it's very important. Um, <laughs> Not really. So, so Not really. Um, may the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you, in these days, may he give you shalom. Mm-hmm. Amen and amen. Until next time, brothers and sisters. Thanks for listening to Vox, the Mike Erie podcast. Be sure to like Mike on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash official Mike Erie. Follow Mike on Twitter and Periscope, at Mike Erie, for live interaction and ongoing Q&A. Don't forget to visit SubversiveKingdom.com for further engagement and information about Mike.